You're listening to Well I Laughed, part two of Surviving the Wilderness, the rumor of feral people, hermits, and people that live in the wild. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, hello, um, and welcome to Well I Laughed. Uh, We're already giggling, so hopefully we're going to get you there too. Um, This is my wonderful host and uh, engineer and carpenter, uh, don't know what she does for a day job, Maya. (laughs) My name is Maya. I also don't know what I do for a day job. And Grant's constantly having an existential crisis, and that's why he's bald. Um... Yeah, I'm actually going to let everything that you just <laughs> said stand. Uh, speaking of day jobs real quick, can I talk about what my day yes, was like? Yes, I'm desperate to know. Uh, as you should be, and everyone else listening. <laughs> um, so today, so I'm a public school teacher. Obviously, I get to teach uh, speech and debate at a local high school. Public. Love it. Uh, today, I don't want to teach. So we went on a field trip downtown to a theater performance, which was fantastic. And I just want to say... You've heard like that narrative that like public schools are trying to make your kids gay. And I just want to <laughs> say, I just want to say that's not true. Mainly because none of them are as good at it as I am. That's you know, fair. like everyone thinks it's like, mm, introduce them to Harvey Milk. No, introduce them to a lifestyle of disposable income and quality downtown pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And then I bring them on a train and they all spend a moment looking outside the window, like in like in a beautiful Emily in Paris, like made it moment. (laughs) And they're smart enough to get a friend to photograph it. And so tell me I'm not changing lives and that I don't have an army of bisexual children ready to be incredibly weird around adults. That's the fucking dream. That's the gay agenda. (laughs) That is the gay agenda. You heard it here first. (laughs) Did we need to take the train home? No, it actually slowed us down a little bit, to be completely honest. But the gays do love public public transportation. We all just love a moment. And now they do too. And And now they know. Tangentially, potentially also live theater. I don't know. I didn't ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, the field trip was not about the live theater. It was about teaching kids public transportation awesome. and living in the moment. Oh, 100%. Also, like, if it ever gets to the point where I need to ask high schoolers their thoughts on live theater, like, honestly, just put me away. And by <laughs> that, I mean send me back to the red state. I fleed like a refugee. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to you, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, this is part two of Surviving in the Wilderness. Here's the rabbit hole I went down when I was doing these notes. When you first brought up the topic of surviving in the wilderness, I was like, great, have a perfect idea. Because I saw a viral TikTok about cannibalistic people living in the U.S. national parks. I am now strapped into this, (laughs) but you have, without giving me any warning, hit my biggest fear. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) I once walked barefoot across a ski parking lot in the dead of winter because I didn't want to be a burden on others. I have a hard time letting people know when I disappear into the wilderness. You know what? Yeah, that will be hard. Right. And so uh, cannibals in the national parks, top five biggest fears, alongside snakes, aneurysms, and turning out like my family members. No, I'm (laughs) talking about my extended family, of course. (laughs) It's none of my business. You had a story. I do have a story. Okay. (laughs) So um, I started from that topic, right? And so I did some some Googling. And over 600,000 people go missing in the U.S. every year, just in general. Not just in the wilderness, but in general. Um, But those are the reported absences. Ooh. In the wild, 
give you a fun fact, the Department of the Interior, which oversees national parks, and the Department of Agriculture don't keep track of how many people go missing in the wilderness. Have you ever pulled up some of these national parks? They don't keep track of anything there. Exactly. <laughs> but that's terrifying because currently there are around um, 1,600 people missing somewhere in the wild in the U.S. And keep in mind when I say that, at some point, if you've been missing for long enough, you get declared legally dead and no longer listed as missing. How long is that? Seven years. That's Which, a long time to commit. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But I'm over here like life insurance doesn't pay out until probably like six months after that. So I'm like, what, 40 when I'm using the like $35,000 that comes with Listen, my life insurance? Uh, so because neither of those big government agencies have solid records on everyone that goes missing in the wilderness or the national parks. Here's a sentence I never thought I'd say. Mm. I'll give you a or no, I'll give you a chance to guess at who the most reliable source for missing people in the wild comes from. Missing people in the wild, as in, okay, so source of information is like, we found a dead body or someone went missing. Or like a good record of who and when they went missing and all of that. Like information that you would think the police would have. Is it like migrants? No. Bigfoot hunters. Shut the (laughs) fuck up. Oh my God, it's so much better. I thought we were going to have like a high level, highbrow intellectual conversation about like our broken immigration system. And instead it's just crazies (laughs) in the wild being like, listen, we are exceptional at finding lost hikers, but we can't find apes. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, they're not finding lost hikers. They're just advocating for them. Lost hikers? Well, that or just like making sure that their names don't get forgotten because the national parks don't care. Um, so in 2011, David Paulides, Paulides, okay. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, is he's the founder of the North America Bigfoot Search, launched a database of wildland disappearances, which occurred under quote unquote mysterious circumstances. I love this. And I love that this is how America is tackling its like crime problem. Like yeah. everyone went off and got their DNA test to find out <laughs> just how white they were percentage wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And turns out we're all related to a murderer. Uh, <laughs> that was unsolved. And now we have uh, Bigfoot hunters, which are turning out to be just eccentric Advocates. wilderness uh, lovers. You know what? Is the database an Excel spreadsheet? God, I hope so. I don't know. I didn't look at it. <laughs> He's also an author of like several books, so I, I'm not sure how like how professional he's going okay, here. So yeah. I feel like he's a little professional. I want viewer access, and I want to have to control F to be able to use it. <laughs> Fair. It's for all of Honestly? our tech friends listening right now. <laughs> I saw a TikTok today that was like, "Who named it Plan B and not Control Z?" <laughs> I was like, damn. I love that. <laughs> I know. Okay, so here's some fun facts. Um, I will give a trigger warning. There are We're going to talk about bodies. Mm, okay. Just in case. It's skip forward, like, I don't know, five minutes. If you hear about bodies, skip forward some more. <laughs> I really don't know how long time takes. This is how trigger works. <laughs> <laughs> I have something called time blindness, which I've recently <laughs> discovered. And I discovered that by thinking that it took an hour to vacuum. It does not. <laughs> it does not take an hour to vacuum. You don't even have carpet on the first floor. Listen, I'm fully aware of that now. <laughs> I was like, I don't have time to vacuum. And then I vacuumed and I was like, that was 10 minutes. <laughs> hey, it's, but that's like a lot like the uh, folding and putting away the laundry exactly. time loop. It, like, I'm always so angry that it takes me like two Casey Musgrave songs. <laughs> when I think I have to like basically cancel an evening's worth yeah. of plans to get it done. <laughs> Okay. So most disappearances occur in the late afternoon or just before severe weather. All these facts are from David 
polyids, like put together a lot of information. Um, Victims of these disappearances are often found in previously searched areas, which is creepy. Mm. Um, Without clothing or footwear, even when hypothermia has been ruled out. Because if you don't know, when you have hypothermia, you are so cold, you feel really hot. And so people right before they die tend to strip completely. Right. Um, and it seems like the park service is not exactly forthcoming and being public on any of these cases or their data. So they're just not like either they're not running investigations or they're intentionally not releasing their data on the investigations. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, all of this is also coming from the founder of the North America Bigfoot search. <laughs> But also keep in mind, the person saying this is known to have some pretty out there stances. Yeah, so like, it's probably true that the Park Service isn't as open and doesn't have as many like set in stone procedures for these things. Um, And there probably is some truth to it, but maybe he's taking it a bit longer. Here's the thing, I think there's, this is like a wonderful, and obviously we're not going to stop you, but we could discussion as to like, did we send men to search the area first and then sent a woman? Like, (laughs) when we say previously searched, I would love to know who does it win? Um, super I know curious which group about this. Exactly. Which round of searches? Exactly. Because if it was a Boy Scout troop hiking through the area, guaranteed two people poked it, no one said a thing. You know? <laughs> They're like, we don't. People are going to think we did it. <laughs> Give me one lady ranger with a pants up to her belly buttons. She'll find them hikers. <laughs> there is a true crime docuseries on Hulu called Wild Crime. And the first season, the like main park ranger detective is a woman. And. Man, that woman, iconic, incredible. She kept on that case for like 20 years or something like that. That was crazy. Um, Okay. Disembodied human feet. Just to catch your okay, interest. Okay, so we just dropped right back in. <laughs> yeah. So when we say disembodied human feet, we mean we find feet but no body. That's yes. what I'm understanding. Yes. And they're probably without shoes. It's just with foot. Shoes. So we're finding shoes with feet in them. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that is harder to explain. Yeah. <laughs> so this data specifically comes from the Pacific Northwest. Um, disembodied human feet with still in shoes in many cases wash up on the shores of Washington State and British Columbia with alarming regularity. <laughs> At all is alarming irreg- like regularity, but okay. <laughs> there are 13 feet that have washed up in a decade in British Columbia alone from 2007 to 2017. 13. And the worst part... That's one a year. These feet can't easily be identified. As like feet or like who they belong to? Who they belong to. Who they belong to. Um, So the explanation of this, while it sounds creepy, and it is creepy, to be fair, I did. So when I looked up... (laughs) Trigger warning. When I looked it up, I saw a picture of a just... Uh, it was a shoe on the beach with the the full intact bone from the ankle to the knee sticking Uh, up out of it. Gross. Yep. So when bodies are either dumped or like uh, someone drowns, um, when they're in human, when they're in water, human bodies do something called disarticulating, which is when it comes apart at the joints. So hands and feet are often become disconnected if the body isn't pulled from the water. Um, and then they obviously get. So we're thinking bodies get dumped and then they kind of uh, dissolve a little bit. And so there is something specific about this particular area in the Pacific Northwest with the tides. Sure. um, And like maybe the water pushes it back. Yeah, I couldn't really. I didn't follow up on that. (laughs) Um, So only feet in tennis shoes typically wash up also Mm. because those shoes act as flotation devices and will pull more when the disarticulation happens pulling the foot up to the surface. So shoes will also 
also protect ah. the feet inside from being scavenged by sea creatures, which right. would be great if we could use them to identify the victims, but we can't because the, the fleshy has no, been... I get it. <laughs> Imagine if Footfinder was like the 23 and me feet. So anyway, creepy things happen in the wilderness. So back to the start. Of the title of this program is I Survived the Wilderness. Some people don't do that. <laughs> so on TikTok, something went viral claiming that there are feral people living in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And elsewhere, but yes. And elsewhere, um, specifically in Tennessee. A lot of people seem to think that these claims originated on TikTok and they're like all up in arms about it, thinking mm. like there's no backing to these claims. Um, but these claims have been around for decades before TikTok. One of the origins people suspect is the disappearance of Dennis Martin. Dennis Martin was a six-year-old boy who went missing while on a camping trip with his father in 1969. <laughs> there was a massive effort to find him. I mean, the dad killed him, right? I mean, if I have learned anything in my 30 years, it is that, oh, the person that was last with him was related, he killed him. He 100% killed him. <laughs> was the search party made up of men or women? I am now asking this exclusively. Here's the thing. <laughs> Okay, the search party, when I researched this, the spokesperson who was talking about it was like, this search party got, like, much too big to, like, work efficiently. I love a search party that absolutely understands parties in the name. <laughs> I love a search party that's like, listen, when do we all get together like this? <laughs> okay, the search party was made up of Boy Scouts. Mm, okay. Yep. National Guard. Okay. <laughs> okay. And members of the Green Beret who happened to be training in the area at the time. Isn't that just a wild group That's a Quentin Tarantino lineup. Right? Yes. Like, Boy Scouts to the Green Beret. Not a single person of color <laughs> or woman. <laughs> okay. Imagine uh, that meeting, and it's like a 12-year-old boy trying to earn his, like, tenderfoot merit badge, and then a man who is, like, his intense Green Beret regiment is the only thing that stops him from, like, to <laughs> crippling depression. And the dad who they all know did it is like, here's what my son looks like. <laughs> okay, so so they obviously searched for a long time. It was a big group. No one found him or any trace of him. Um, Harold Key, who lived in the area and was in the area um, where Dennis went missing around the time he went missing, uh, claims he heard a, quote, terrible scream mm. and saw a figure running in the woods nearby. The figure in question was a, quote, disheveled man who hid in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the basis of the feral people. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. That's it? Oh, wow. They saw Dennis's dad running through the bushes of the KOA campground he murdered his son in, and they were like, we knew there were cannibals up here. <laughs> Do you know what it sounds like? It sounds like America's military needed another enemy to fight. Listen, I'm not I would apologize for that if I wasn't correct. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Dennis's father refused to believe he had just wandered off like everyone was telling him and insists that he must have been kidnapped. I also want to kind of point out, as a person who works with children, they wander, but no, they don't. Like, they do, you must always within earshot. And I worked with, like, children. Yeah, I'm confused about what happened here. Um, but all the park rangers and people involved said that the most likely story is that Dennis wandered off and got lost because it was a part, it was a dangerous area, I guess. Sure, it was Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> and either Dennis froze to death, fell to his death, or was attacked by wildlife and died. TLDR, 
um, there are, there's no hard evidence to support the claims of feral people in national parks. Wait, so then what is all this TikTok about? Like, because I definitely was like, a friend sent me a link to an article. Now, granted, did not look at it for a second because of my own crippling fear. Um, <laughs> so I have no idea how reputable it was, but I was under the impression that there was like... More than that, like I don't know, how, I don't know how I would quantify how much evidence I thought was out there, but I was like specifically not going to Yellowstone, um, and it's that a six-year-old boy was killed by his father, and everyone's like can't go into the woods. From my understanding, that is what snowballed it, and it's like basically the same kind of thing that happens with cryptids, where like what's a cryptid? Like Bigfoot is a cryptid. Like the Wendigo is a cryptid. The Phoenix is a cryptid. Oh, these are, we're just saying creatures. They're like mythical creatures that like there's no hard evidence they exist and they may or may not have like some, like Mothman is a cryptid. I know Mothman from a different podcast. Well, I also want to say for the record, if the son's, if this kid's dad was, you know, adjudicated of all like wrongdoing, then like we'll fully believe that. I'm not yeah, going to go like, I don't know. no I one one conspiracy, yes on another. All I'm going to say is that if a woman dies, arrest the boyfriend first. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, um, I didn't go into a full deep dive in this case because at this point I was mad that cannibals weren't in the I love that that upset you a little I bit. I was like, are you kidding me? What am I going to talk about when, on the podcast? In reality, the thing that should upset you is that it's a society of Bigfoot hunters <laughs> that is logging the time and location raw feet are washing up in the Pacific Northwest. Like, that is so much more upsetting than a couple people with alternative lifestyles who prey on people who should know better. <laughs> I was just mad that they didn't exist. I wanted to fear something, I guess. I don't know. I was mad that I you felt so easily You have anxiety and depression. And ADHD. Don't why did you it. need to add a new fear to the list? ADHD is why we have, like, four so more pages of pages notes. Of notes. <laughs> On the topic of this viral TikTok, a lot of people have come out saying that these kinds of urban legends are harmful to the people who choose to live in remote areas, are lower income in these areas, or are choosing or are homeless and choosing to be in the national parks because mm. those people do exist. Um, for example, in this area where Dennis Martin went missing between 2016 and 2020, um, areas of Appalachia are lower income with between 13.2 and 22.4% poverty rate across the mountain range. And for example, the U.S. median income was $64,000 and the median Appalachian income was $53,000. So it is a lower income area and apparent, like the people in Appalachia have like come out kind of on TikTok being like, this isn't true. We don't know of any feral... There's been no reported sure. sightings of feral people, no cannibalistic... I feel like the people of Appalachia are like, listen, these mountains are crazy, and there is some stuff in them, but we're normal. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... Which is, like... <laughs> not that crazy. Right, 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 okay? right. Okay? Um, like, listen, if you ever hear your name whispered in the middle of the forest, run, but it's not us. <laughs> oh, my God. There are... Some supernatural explanations for the disappearance of people, obviously. Of Aliens, cryptids, feral people. I went to church for like 18 years. I get it. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> it shows. Divine intervention. <laughs> if you get eaten by a feral person in the wilderness, I just want you to know, God, God, God wanted it. that to happen. <laughs> that was fate, my guy. <laughs> okay. While feral people may not exist, there are hermits and off-the-grid survivalists. 100%. For example, Christopher Thomas Knight. Do you know this name? Like, vaguely. 
Okay. But I feel like that about every name that has the name Thomas in it. That is just my... <laughs> he must be related to me! That is my cross to bear until I leave this earth. <laughs> good, good. I love that for you. I'm so happy you have Listen, that if this man is from Texas, there's at least a slight percent He's chance I'm... Okay, damn well. Well, maybe good. I don't know, we're about to find out. Do we're I want to get Christopher Thomas Knight? Christopher Thomas Knight. Sounds like a successful name. A.K.A. North Pond Hermit. Oh. And he was successful in his own way. <laughs> and I love that. Is successful? I don't know. It feels very okay. Gen X of him. Yes. <laughs> so I have a lot of notes. We're going to run through them. Christopher Thomas Knight was born in 1965, grew up in a smaller town in Maine with five siblings. People who knew him and his family all remembered the entire family kind of as like off mm. to themselves. They remember Christopher specifically as being a loner and he himself has also said he always struggles to make friends and always prefers to keep to himself. He was very smart, graduated high school early, and went to a technical school to study electronics in Massachusetts. He got a job installing alarms in homes, remember that, and alarms in homes and vehicles, and was able to get a loan to buy himself a Subaru. In 1986, he grew dissatisfied with his job, as we all do. Uh, so he quit. And he went back to Maine uh, with the intention of like going back to live with his family. He worked just long enough to buy a Subaru. And then pieces <laughs> out. He got a loan on a Subaru. He you, didn't even buy you it. Got, well, once you skip down, it's yours. So <laughs> I, <laughs> Bye. It's tough to see people living your dream, you know? <laughs> I got to wake up tomorrow to pay for my Subaru. And I could just be out here stealing them and then living in Maine. So here's the thing. He was going to drive from Massachusetts to Maine to like go back to his hometown, settle down, maybe like move in with his parents. Um, he ended up just driving through his childhood town and kept driving north from there until he basically ran out of gas on a dirt road. He got up, he said, you know what? Never camped a day in my life. Never slept in a tent. Now's the time. The audacity of men absolutely Crazy. still floors me. Right? I date them and I'm like, what? Are you kidding oh, me? Yeah. I've dated a person who couldn't drive in downtown Denver because <laughs> it made them too anxious. Honestly. And same. this man was just like, I will live here or die. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, this man gets out of his car. He happens to have a tent in his car, which he has never used. <laughs> Did he steal the Subaru from a person who actually uses Subarus? Don't know. <laughs> Don't know. Actually, everyone knows an all-new Subaru Outback complimentary comes with the tent from REI. Grant has a Subaru. So. And my all-new 2021 Subaru. <laughs> no, no free advertising. Subaru, please contact me. <laughs> Pay off my car loan. Okay. So he, he threw the keys in the car, grabbed his tent, and walked off. So someone got a free Subaru. Not even using the Subaru as like a temporary shelter? Nope. Left it on the road. Yep. Wow. Oh, he also had uh, no map and no knowledge of the wilderness area that he was in. Fun fact. Uh, this is a quote from him. Uh, he said, I had no plans. I had no map. I didn't know where I was going. I just walked away. <laughs> this man is Be suffering a deep mental health crisis. <laughs> because he didn't like his job? <laughs> And wasn't making friends despite not really wanting to make friends. Listen, I felt that way too about a hike, but every time I have gotten back to my car, I'm like, thank God, air conditioning. <laughs> Same. Oh. I have taken off my hiking boots and never felt better. You know what's so crazy is you get old enough and you look back on like your heroes and you were like, oh, you were unwell. Like this man just needed to know that his sense of self-worth was defined beyond what he was able to produce. And then he could have like visited his family. <laughs> Without having to become a hermit. 
Okay. Um, he walked for weeks. At that point, he was when he was hungry, he would steal food from gardens in like local neighborhoods or wherever. Eventually, he found his quote ideal site, and it was in a dense forest between some boulders and near some ponds. He didn't know the name of the ponds, and he's <laughs> named the North Pond Hermit. So he didn't even know this until after all this I hope the ponds happened. are just like. Portland City Park North. It's North Pond. That's what I just told you. Oh, shut up. The pond actually... <laughs> North Pond Hermit. That before he got there, it was called the Hermit North Pond? No. Like, the pond is named North Pond. Even while he was a hermit, he was dubbed the North Pond Hermit. He oh. didn't know the name of the pond. He was named after the pond and not the other way around? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, okay amazing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he didn't know the name of the pond. Um, he also didn't know this at the time, but he was 30 miles from his parents' house at this ideal <laughs> site. That this he is had... sounding more and more like a lot of men I've interacted with. Yeah. Uh, he also didn't know this yet, but he was close to a lot of uh, local summer cabins, like uh, cabins that people would summer vacation at or like actual summer camps so that this, kids went to. So this hermit is living on the periphery of everything he's ever known. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. But in the wilderness. Have you ever, did you ever read the book The Hatchet? Oh, that name sounds really familiar. I don't know that I read it. Um, guy lands in the Canadian wilderness in like a plane accident and like lives there for a couple years. No, I had friends that read it. And he has a hatchet. It was required reading in the entire state of Nebraska for like two that decades. Makes a lot it's of sense. It's giving me a lot of these vibes. Yeah, and it should. <laughs> okay, um, so temperatures in Maine in the winter get down to right. negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. So, how do you think he handled that weather? Oh. Like at night. Like, part of me is like, did he murder tourists and, like, live in their bodies? But no, I think he just, he just found a so cave. Dark. Listen, the last thing we talked about was cannibals. You're right, and you're you right, were you're like, right. how Sorry. do you think he survived temperatures well, that okay. would kill a person? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> if, it's, if it's he set a fire in his dwelling, I'm going to be mad. No, no, he had no such fire. Uh, he didn't want to have a fire because the smoke would alert his location or, like, give away his location. This man did crimes. Like, this man was like, I'm a hermit. This man is wanted in several states. He's in the, just living in the wilderness. He's not who wanted. Who sees a fire in the main wilderness and being like, there, there's a person I should go talk to. He just didn't want anyone to know where he was. So, when it got cold in the wilderness, in the, in the winter, uh, to stay warm, he would just wake up and pace around his camp. That's crazier than killing a person. <laughs> I, I want to point out right now. I know. That's actually so much crazier. That's worse somehow. <laughs> I don't know why. He just like, imagine just sitting up being like, I'm cold. <laughs> and then just walking. I, it's like, this man has like anxiety. Like this man has clinical depression. Yeah, this man's not okay for sure. Just um, pace. If we ever go to Maine, <laughs> I need to go to North Pond and see the path that mm -hmm. I'm sure the North Pond Hermit burned into Maine. whatever dwelling. Is he just out in the open or does he have like some kind of shelter? It's unclear. I think he, he ends still up in the having tent? a shelter. Uh, I believe so at this point, yes. Fascinating. He's very, he's, this is new. Um, so uh, he does he just pace for all day? He just paces it at like night to warm back up and I then he'll go back so to sleep. Lean. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so in order to avoid being suspicious to like people that, that might see him for don't whatever reason, don't, don't be suspicious. suspicious. This man put in a lot of effort to not be suspicious. Cause he had done several crimes. <laughs> I don't know what he did and what he's running from, but like, it's gotta be serious, right? It's the truth first. And then... <laughs> <laughs> His own mental health problems. Okay. Um, he took sponge baths in the like cold pond water in the winter 
This man can't have a fire, but he can't have a sponge. I'm sorry. Like, where is this line oh, coming and going? You'll see where he, he gets all this. Um, and he regular sh- regularly shaved and cut his hair in case people would see him. So they wouldn't be like, that's a hermit. Are you a hermit if people are regularly seeing you? No. Right. Here's the thing, though. He didn't see people. He recounted all the times that he saw and interacted with people. And there were three. And how long? Uh, I'm not going to tell you that yet. Fascinating. Okay, yep. continue. Okay. <laughs> um, he would steal propane camp stoves. So this is how he would like It's way more suspicious than just a fire, but okay. Yeah, so he stole a <laughs> propane camp stove for cooking and melting snow. Um, and this way he had no smoke. Um, he would steal a canoe or a boat to go across the, the pond. Um, <laughs> like from one of the local, like one of the neighboring houses or whatever. Uh, he would steal that, go across the pond, steal propane tanks use the canoe to get back to his place and then return the boat or canoe or wherever and cover it with dirt to make it seem like no one had taken it. A fire too suspicious, but a life of property crime is easily ignored in the North Main wilderness. Oh yeah. He stocked up on supplies in the summer and fall so he wouldn't need to leave his camp in the winters to avoid footprints in the snow leading to his camp. Using his background working with alarms, he was uh, able to disable security cameras. Yeah, man lived a life of crime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was any crime until he was like, you know what? Screw this job. <laughs> um, I think, listen, I think there was a gap in his resume between his time at the alarm store and buying a Subaru. And he needed to get away from that gap. You know what? You might be right. Do you think he just really enjoyed stealing things? That's possible. He was like, if I have to live in the wilderness to facilitate stealing things, I will. Here's the thing, though, is that he never stole more than he needed, which is why he was, like, successful for a while. You know who who else did that? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the last chapter of the New Testament. (laughs) Oh, honey, that's straight up Old Testament right there. Are you kidding? You know what? That's fair. Uh, Okay. Where was I? Uh, yeah, so... He he's disables, breaking into homes. He's breaking into homes. Uh, he would steal from local houses and summer camps after watching the residents to learn their habits and would only steal on weeknights because that was when it was most likely that people were gone. If I was breaking into homes, I simply would not be sponge bathing in a pond. Like, I, I would take a freaking shower. I would definitely budget for that. <laughs> I would also just like, you know what? What are the odds are going to notice? Also, are you a hermit if you know it's Wednesday? Like, are you a hermit exactly. if you know it's the middle thought. of the week? If it's like in the like summer break when I was a kid, I didn't know what freaking this week it was. This goes all the way to the top. He's funneling this stuff to his family's home, who's selling it <laughs> then in pawn shops. It's a whole... This is my conspiracy theory. Now That's that you've fair. taken cannibals from me, <laughs> this is where I'm resting. People are actually hermits to launder money. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So after he would break in somewhere once, he would try to find a spare key somewhere inside the house, and then he would hide it outside so that he could get easily, get in easily the next time he needed to break into that house. This is like now becoming unsettling. Yep. <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. But he would, like, rotate which houses he would steal from so that, like, it wouldn't ever be too suspicious. Because he was only stealing how much he needed, right? And so, like, they would be like... This is a really important moment for us to now discuss what kind of families we have because uh, the violence that would occur in my household if an entire can of, <laughs> if an entire can of Pringles was gone and no one fessed up to it... It would be... 
My parents almost once banned my brother's friends from coming over to the house because they ate an entire case of Oreos. Which, here's the thing. As a person who now buys Oreos, I would absolutely ban them. But they were like 15 and there was a lot of them. So I don't know... Like what if you thought they were gonna do with the Oreos, <laughs> you know? Like <laughs> you didn't want us to eat the whole sleeve in one sitting. You should have told us. I legitimately remember like the family being upset and fully agreed with the upsetness. And now that I'm like just a smidge older, I'm like, yeah, I, maybe I can see both sides of it. So I would love to know what kind of lifestyle these main families are living that they're not noticing the missing Pringles. Exactly. So here's the thing: is that I think I remember. I don't. I didn't get this from my research today, but I think I've listened to a story about this guy on a different podcast. And he, I think they said that this area, the houses that were in this area were mostly summer homes Mm. and he's only stealing in the summer and fall. So it's probably people that are there like on their vacation. Oh, I love a Robin Hood analogy. (laughs) That's a lot of the rep he gets is Robin Hood. People either love or hate him. Okay. So Mm. knowing everything that you know, he's smart. He's stealing stuff. Right. Uh, he's disabling security cameras. Deeply motivated to not get caught. Deeply motivated <laughs> to not get caught. How long do you think he lived out there? Oh, eight years. 27. Shut the front. Shut up. <laughs> 27 years? Even if he got there when he was 18, he's like hanging it up at what, 45? And what? He like moves in with his parents? Like, what happens? Now? How do you get caught? Okay, so he got caught April 4th of 2013. He got caught because he was stealing from a local summer camp for special needs kids. That's fucked up. (laughs) I don't think, to be fair, I don't think I don't think think Robin Hood did that in that chapter. You live there for 27 years and you don't peg if that's a summer camp. Yeah. And if you do peg it's a summer camp, you don't then figure out, like, what kind of summer camp? What, are they just open? Was the paint still drying? Like... (laughs) I forgot no. that chapter of Robin Hood when he, you know, prevents a nonprofit from fulfilling <laughs> its vital role to the community. Oh my god. Yep. So that's how he got caught. He got caught at I think he got caught like basically red-handed at the summer camp. Uh, they I think they like had known someone was stealing for like maybe a couple months or something. So my family's running the summer camp. Okay. Yes, basically. <laughs> Listen, the thing that was actually super triggering is when you left the, like, little paper cap on up top and then, like, yes. took it and, and then, then you put already... it back and then, and you're like, oh, what a, a brand new cap. No, no, it's not. it's almost empty. And I now understand war crime, you know, like, <laughs> immediate anger. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay, so he's found at 27, stealing from maybe the worst group of people you could possibly ethically steal from. Exactly. Okay, so here's a partial list of what he stole during that time. They read it during... 27 years? Yes. Okay. Just to give you an idea that he was pretty resourceful and he wasn't stealing stuff that he didn't need. I think until the end, he was caught stealing some marshmallows. So do with that what you will. Um, that it's was hard one to really of recreate things. that out yeah. of tree sap. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's the things that he stole during that time. Backpacks, batteries, beer... Blankets, books, coffee filters, coffee pots, coolers, or a coffee pot, sorry, coolers, flashlights, frozen chickens, a frying pan, a garden hose, some Halloween candy, magazines, a mattress and a box spring, milk crates, a paring knife, peanut butter, pillows, propane tanks, a sleeping bag, a snow shovel, a snowmobile suit, a spatula, (laughs) steaks, a thermometer, underwear, my favorites of the list, a radio, 
a mini Panasonic black and white television, which means he was still watching a black and white television in the year 2013, <laughs> and a handheld video game. First off, that's a home, okay? And that's two, a home, right? He's what glamping. Is, yeah, also... It's like cold glamping. What are you doing with the uh, empty propane tanks? Maybe. Yes. I think actually, now that I think about it, again, didn't get this from my research, I think he was returning them to the places that he Do stole you, them. He caused divorces. Because <laughs> if you came to your summer camp and you're like, I swear to God, I filled the propane tank at the end of last summer. And then almost always the wife was like, well, clearly you didn't. Divorce. Like, I have no <laughs> other way I to say know. it. Here's the thing. I, okay, controversial take here. Jail time. 100% jail time. First, like, the wilderness is for everyone, but not if you have to then rely on theft to accomplish that. Also, like, I'm sure he was living pretty carbon net neutral, but I'm, like, really curious as to, like, what does 27 years of human waste in an area do? What does 27 years of, like, stealing things that are, like, non-disposable do? It's possible he was, like, using the bath, like, he was somehow taking sponge baths, but maybe he was using the bathroom at these places. Yeah, also, yeah, like, because his entire life, his entire lifestyle is enabled by empty summer homes <laughs> nine months of the year. Know, I'm not going to say anything about like the politics of summer homes, but I'm not going to call my lifestyle eco-friendly yeah. if a 500,000 square foot McMansion is <laughs> crucial to my continued existence, okay? It is. My little bungalow on the west side, a lot smaller, and I don't have to fucking steal from summer camps to make it happen. You're right. You're right. So... He was so stealthy with the way that he was stealing things and disabling cameras and getting himself spare keys that most people in the area had heard of the North Pond Hermit, but believed he was a myth until he was arrested. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? To be in the group chats in which those articles were <laughs> sent. Real Housewives! Exactly! I want to know! I just, it's like, because we all have that friend that everyone else has been like, no. Yes. And then this was the one time they were like, I was right. We would absolutely gaslight Lydia into thinking that she did not see the North Pond Hermit. We, and she absolutely would have. Because the only would, person yeah. random enough to accidentally run into a hermit is our friend Lydia. <laughs> she would. She absolutely would. She'd, yeah, you can hear and exactly girl, her voice. I love you, but we once convinced you that chicken tornadoes were a real <laughs> ecological event for like two days once. Like... <laughs> Wait, wait, explain that. So our our dining hall freshman year of college had this thing called chicken tornadoes, which were just breakfast taquitos. And Lydia walked in halfway through. And you know that incredible moment with 90% of a group when you all look at each other in the eyes and without saying a word decide, we're going to fucking lie right now. We're going to mess with her. We can that chickens, you don't naturally fly. If you get them upset enough, they'll flap their wings and produce a wind force that then carries them across the yard and that is just colloquially known as a chicken tornado and that was really funny until about like three or four days later when evil dining hall had rotated through all its breakfast foods and chicken tornadoes were back on the menu and she was so angry at us and she had a right to be We had a farmer in our group who was like, you're really good at doubt me, Lydia. And oh, that's no. when I learned about gaslighting. <laughs> Beforehand, I just thought it was called being funny. <laughs> Turns out there's a whole term for it. God, the number of people who are like, I told you it was the North Pond Hermit. And it was just like an ugly looking dude out on a jog. Like, 
Like, I do believe he was probably seen, and then the people who saw him were not believed. And I also think a lot more of the sightings were just people not looking their best in the dawn and dusk. I agree 100%. <laughs> I guess props to him for never murdering someone, but that's a pretty low bar to clear. Oh, yeah. When he was caught by the cops, he acknowledged that he had only interacted, he had only spoken to another human being once during the 27 years that he was wow. like out and about. This was when he said hi to a hiker he was passing, who in turn did not acknowledge him. <laughs> I need to know this hiker's name, because this is exactly what I want. Because I bet that hiker also leashed his dogs and cleaned up their poop, you know? I bet that man... Also, good job for that hiker for dealing with his mental health in an appropriate way. Silently in the woods. <laughs> But not stealing. But not forever. <laughs> I also love that we finally reached a story in which the person does survive in this a series of I survived the wilderness. Exactly. Only to the third story. Exactly. Okay, so the other time he interacted with a person, he had tried to break into what he thought was an empty cabin. Um, but when he got in, someone yelled, get the hell out of here. And he ran. I'm shocked that in a place like Maine, he wasn't just shot dead right then and there. Yeah, someone was just like, get the hell out. And I don't mean that like in a cop way. I mean, like, I would, like, in the Maine wilderness, I think hunting is, like, You have a gun, but, like, to, like, protect you from the bears. As I understand it, you have a gun and one beat-up red pickup, but she still runs, you know? like If you, like, really try. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's (laughs) always, always kind of foggy and everyone's in flannel. Yes, 100%. Several months after being caught by the cops, he admitted that there was a third time he had talked to another person. Um, And it was with a fisher and his son who had discovered him. And they were going to, like, report him. But once they realized that um, this guy wasn't dangerous and really he only wanted to be left alone, they all collectively made a pact to never speak of the meeting. What? (laughs) That's so unhinged. What? What? <laughs> of all of the things that have been said in this six episode run of a podcast, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. How is that not a movie? How do you ever trust your father again? I know I want Can wanna... I read your essay you wrote for entrance into college? I need to know the son's I, opinion. No, I... I love that this man, I who who has no ties to anyone, kept that pack a secret. He admitted to the robberies, but he was true to his word, and they were all going to pretend no one had seen each other. How do you, as the son, go to bed that night? How do you get home and be like... That was a normal thing that I experienced. There's a man in the woods, and my father and I are the only ones who know about it. And I'm going to now live with that fact. That ages you. You wake up with opinions on pension reform. (laughs) Did you tell mom? Imagine being like, we found a man in the woods and I convinced our child to not tell anyone to protect the hermit. How the fuck do you determine if a hermit is harmless in one, I'm sure, incredibly smelly interaction with him, you know? Dude, I don't know, but I have so many questions, especially 
Especially because this encounter, so he admitted this to the police, like, I don't know, several months after he was caught, but the encounter was only two months before he was arrested. (laughs) That's even better, because that's just enough time for you to settle into the secret. That's just enough time to grow with it. And it's kind of fun sometimes, you know, to have... (laughs) that right yeah who doesn't love having a little secret or two and it's just long enough to start feeling kind of superior about it and then he was like i was found (laughs) (laughs) but then you go and be like go and tell all your friends like i met the north and they're like no you're just hopping on the bandwagon now man oh everyone's met the north pond hermit oh my god the way that would fuck up an adolescent brain unwell for the rest of time (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really do think it all began when my father introduced me to fishing, and little did either one of us know, it would traumatize me for the rest of my life. Do you think you now keep everything a secret, or everyone's secret is everyone's news? I mean, obviously you have anxiety, that's not what I'm asking. I would never keep a secret again, (laughs) Mm. because I would want... The, like I wouldn't want to wait for it to break on the news and then have everyone be like gaslight me and tell me that I'm sure. wrong. But that's the tough thing too. When you start telling secrets, yeah, people stop telling you secrets. You know, it's true. You got to tell the right people. Right. Well, I have just gotten really good at stripping out identifying information from otherwise incredible stories. <laughs> don't tell Grant your secrets. No, do I won't name you. <laughs> but if you don't think I'm not going to use it to get a laugh at the next cocktail party I go to. You're wrong. Why do you think I bought chalices from Ikea? Like, I'm going to be saying it. Uh, During the time that he was a hermit, he committed over a thousand burglaries. How much time do you think he did? In a place like Maine, Mm -hmm. represented by Susan Collins. (laughs) This is in 2013. Yeah, Susan Collins is the U.S. Senator from from Maine at the time. Olympia Snow has just retired. Um... <laughs> I was bad at history in high school. <laughs> was bad. Um, I'm currently okay, still hold bad. On. A thousand petty thefts. Yes. Five years. So he was sentenced to paying some restitution. Apparently, the like park rangers had to build a road in their search for him or something like that because they knew about him and they were like, wait, casually trying to find I'm him. I'm just now realizing that we kind of glossed over how he got found. Did they get? the Green Berets, the National Guard, and the local Boy, Boy Scout Scouts. troop to canvas the area. No, and they Dennis got... his dad. <laughs> they got the Green Berets and then the Green Berets' wives. I love that. Love yep, it. Good. Yep. To just follow in the footsteps of the Green yeah. Berets. Just to double check. The keys think, are here. I think if I remember correctly, he was caught on... Like, people... Obviously, it had been an urban myth, but he was caught on a security tape somewhere. Oh, sure. And so that's how they, they started being able to track his whereabouts. God, not me being like, the police state's going to come for all of us one day. Like, he's, he's our canary in the coal mine. He is. They'll find you eventually. <laughs> so he had to pay restitution. I believe he had to pay restitution to the people he had stolen from for all those years and, like, the state and some other places. I don't know. Um, it w- amounted to, like, maybe a couple thousand dollars, which some of it ended up getting, like, the court was like, JK, you don't have to pay that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so he got sentenced to seven months in jail time and three years probation. I mean, that's probably good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of his crimes were probably victimless. Yeah. Even if they it's were still like, weird. It is weird. It's also like, wait, can I steal things for 27 years? <laughs> and like, and get just away. miss winter? The best, <laughs> the best part of all of this is he had already served all but a week of it. 
while awaiting trial. Mm. So he, like, in his mind... And that's a statement on America's justice system. Incorrect. So they gave him time served on his five months. Yep. Yep. I'm just left with, honestly, maybe more questions. This man started at, what, 1986? You said 27 years? I think so, yeah. 1986. 1986 is when he grew dissatisfied with his job. Listen, the last two years of the Reagan administration was tough for everybody. <laughs> but imagine then being re-brought into society and they're like, Barack Obama is president. Dude, I... You're still watching TV on a mini black and white <laughs> oh, TV. Oh, forget about the TV. This man's a member of society. Like, I forget bare, that. I think I remember he only had access to like one or two channels or something. Listen, not to reference him again, but yeah. our friend Tyler spent an entire winter once working and then harassing his former co-workers yes. at a ski resort here in Colorado. And outside of the <laughs> amount of time spent, I do not see major differences in their stories. <laughs> I was FaceTiming Tyler yesterday and he was like, are you going to, A, he didn't remember a thing about the podcast. And I was like, I've told you about this several times. And then he was also like, are you going to talk about me in the podcast? And I said, not with that attitude. <laughs> And I hope he hears this. Here's the thing. As a person who has written a letter to Tyler and got a response 16 months <laughs> later, I hope we are still on the air when Tyler listens to this episode five. So this is the last quote from this man. Um, the hermit. The hermit. Of North Pond. The North Pond hermit. He said... Solitude did increase my perception, but when I applied my increased perception to myself, I lost my identity. There was no need to define myself. I became irrelevant. I didn't even have a name. I never felt lonely. To put it romantically, I was completely free. How did he read Brene Brown when he was out in the wilderness? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Uh, this man, that's... I think being a hermit might, and committing all these crimes might have been his therapy. Turns out if you want to run away from all your problems, it takes 27 years um, to in complete okay. and total isolation. Yeah. The article that I read didn't say where he is, but it did say that he's currently living a quiet life in an apartment by himself, and he still tends to prefer his solitude. Interesting. Yep. Imagine resurfacing in society after 27 years. I would never be How was he... Well, sorry. Yeah, sure. But I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, legal and financial stuff around that, too. Like... Is he still trying to pay his car loan? Was, like, he, <laughs> was he declared dead? That's true. I don't know. I, it seems like his family also, you, also didn't super... Or weren't super care? <laughs> I don't want to say they didn't care. It seems like they weren't, like... Got it. it wasn't like Dennis Martin's dad, right? That was like, he didn't run away. <laughs> he was kidnapped. They were like, Bleh. I mean, every person who owns a uniform in this area and search for my son. Yeah. Um, were you declared dead? I need to know. That's probably something I could have found out. Back? I, don't know. I have a friend who was accidentally declared dead by the Social Security Department. And he physically went there and was like, I'm clearly not dead. And they're like, that sucks. I don't How know what else. How was he declared dead? Uh, here's the thing. We maybe I could ask him, and uh, he could like clarify it more. Um, I don't remember how he can't vote still. And when he has to go to the driver's license to like get his license renewed, it's it's fine. He lives in New York. He doesn't really drive. Guess what I'm trying to say is, when you're dead, in the eyes of the federal government, 
stay dead. Like, they're <laughs> not bringing you back. You're like, sorry, we already did the paperwork, man. And imagine having to get a job at Whole Foods after a lifestyle like that. That you're not dead. Can you explain this gap in your resume? <laughs> Can you explain why when we did a background check, you didn't come up as also, a human? Also, life hack. If anyone's like, can you explain this gap in your resume? You know what you have to say, right? I was declared dead. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love that. Super fast. No, you say, no, I cannot. I signed an MDA. <laughs> Listen, this system, was, this system was never built for us, so stop working for it, okay? Lie. I don't know what else to tell you. Man has a point. Put your three best friends as your references. It's so easy to fake an email account. You can Google Docs edit a paste stub, okay? Be gay, do crime, charge phone, eat hot chip, okay? None of this is permanent. You signed an NDA, so no, you cannot talk about that time. They can't even ask you follow-up questions on it. It's literally a get-out-of-jail-free card. We are keeping this, okay? We are. Maybe put this at the top of the show, in case they decide not to listen to anything reel. else. <laughs> Okay, so some other examples of real-life hermits before we move on. Alexander Bichov. I don't know how to say Russian words. Um, he lived alone in the Russian forest for 20 years. I get that, though. Here's the thing. Russian I forest, though, for 20 years? What, as opposed to Russian government? Like That's fair. That's fair. Uh, the Unabomber lived as a hermit for 25 years. Richard... Proineki, I don't know how to say that. Okay. Lived for 30 years in the Alaskan wilderness. Um, Agafia Lykova lived in the Russian wilderness for 40 years, I think. Um, 40 years? 40 years. I think they were... Was it that family that fled it communism? Was, it was the last living member of the royal line. I what? think, or some royal line, and they were escaping prosecution. See, I read this story in saying about surviving the wilderness, mm -hmm. where it was like these deeply orthodox, Christian-Jewish kind of hybrid mm. things, and communism came, and communism was like not cool with religion, but it wasn't all good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, instead of giving up the religion, they just like fled their little village into the wilderness of Siberia and lived there forever, and the children died uh, there. Not like, yeah, like of old age, like they lived there for like ever and they were contacted as russia's communist government collapsed by like essentially anthropologists and they were like what's your biggest takeaway from a life in the woods and the father i kid you not i remember nothing else but the father said this i missed salt <laughs> <laughs> If I were a hermit, I would also be like, you know what? I really wanted a donut. I missed salt. They, they, they shared this insane story about how one year there was like a late frost and it like killed a lot of the like plants. They like naturally grew around and it was like one plant which was protected, like survived. And they had to like nurture and propagate that and like basically start over. And you would think the takeaway would be like, life finds a way and like the undefeatable nature of the human spirit and the father was like I, I knew God was punishing us because all I could think about was salt and then of course I now have other questions like how much salt did this remote Siberian town have before communism I have a lot of questions <laughs> Okay, uh, we need to take a little elevator break to make another drink yes, and then absolutely. I have the last little bit of my my thing and we're back sweet okay so we ended 
with the first person to survive one of Maya's I survived yeah. stories. <laughs> the Christopher Thomas Knight. He survived in the wilderness for 27 years. Okay, next. Um, kind of thrived in the wilderness thrived, for 27 actually. years. Actually, he like solved his mental health crisis. Also, kind of like thrived in the wilderness and several summer homes and a handful of camps and also one apparently harrowing conversation with fishers. And <laughs> um, one very anticlimactic conversation with the hiker. Correct. Okay. So... Uh, remember so long ago when I said there's no hard evidence to support the claims of feral people in the national park? I do remember that because it calmed a lot of my nerves. Well, what I really meant to specify was in the you. U.S. <laughs> Ooh, okay, now I'm back on board. Because yes. my sense of whimsy does kind of love it. Exactly. Okay, okay so I want to specify these aren't necessarily feral people. But they are uncontacted. Oh, like uncontacted tribes of the Amazon. Basically. That's fun. This group that I'm going to talk about is one of the last uncontacted groups that aren't in the Amazon. They are in South America. They are okay. not in the Amazon. They're in the Chaco uh, region. Um, specifically, is it close to the Tifa region by chance? I don't know. These are names of sandals. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I think it's just south of the slides region of Buenos Aires. Um, Yeah, you're right. Love it. Anyway, continuing. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's Caia del Gran Chaco National Park. So the fun thing is, probably no one knows how to pronounce their name because they're uncontacted. So the only thing... This is a name of a national park, so people definitely know how to pronounce it. Damn, I was on a high horse there for a second. Yeah, you were for a second. I was like, listen, it's just colonizers colonizing the name. But uh, no, okay, this is a national park. So it's in a national (laughs) park. Um, It's the largest national park in Bolivia in the Gran Chaco Forest. Um, That name, Caia... It's like K-A-A-I-Y-A. Okay. Is from Greek mythology, and it means mountain owners. There are non-feral people living in the area. There are farmers and other small communities in the National Park area. But there are also groups... I don't want to insinuate that these are feral people. I realize that wording is bad. But there are also indigenous people that live in the area. Um, and so there's farmers, there's indigenous people, and there's this uncontacted group of people? Or I'm is getting there. I'm oh, getting there. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's farmers, there's small communities, and then there's indigenous that live in the area in like other small communities. Sure. Um, they're all of the Izokenos and, oh man, <laughs> Ayoriod? I don't know. A Y O R E O D E. I love it. Um, origin. And of that last group, the Aoriod. Okay. There is a group of Aorio nomads. Oh. Exactly. Okay. So these are indigenous people and as um, colonization does, um, it forces indigenous people to become I don't know, like like us. Either move or join the society. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there are Aorio people uh, that are living integrated in society, but a lot of them, especially if they're living in cities, struggle with poverty and discrimination. Mm. Um, there are communities also of these people that tend to be very poor slum-like areas, like houses made of mud and cane type slums. Due to these conditions, many of them chose to return to their ancestral land to live a traditional lifestyle. Sure. So like this group, most of them came to these civilized areas and then some of them were like, 
screw this, I'm out. And obviously, like, civilized is super loose here because, I mean, the civilization's not supporting them. Part of society, yeah, 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 yeah. or trying to be. Um, And they said, fuck this shit, (laughs) I'm out. And then went back to their ancestral land. Currently, there are approximately 10 groups of these nomads between 80 and 150, which is a big range. Sure. uh, Total people, and they're spread out in this area, in this national park, and then, like, a neighboring national park, and then, like, some wilderness area in between. And it's believed that they all have contact with each other and then they're all like kind of family style groups. Okay. Um, and then there are laws in Bolivia to protect these people's rights to live on their ancestral land. Sure. Unfortunately, that right is being infringed upon mm. um, as they do. It's tough to hear stories like this from other countries. I know. Because there's a part of you that always wants to believe that like it's we specifically yeah. got it wrong. Mm-hmm. No, it's But it's like everyone. Everywhere. And that, that makes me sad about the human spirit. Yeah. Guess what industry is their biggest threat? There is, are it, two, is it the lithium for our iPhones? No. Oh, wow. What a small win there. Is it logging? Yeah. Deforestation okay, is one of them. Okay. The other one is oil testing. I don't know what the oil testing means, but testing. oil. Oil companies specifically. Isn't that what the Gulf of Mexico is for? Looking at you, BP. Looking at you. So there are laws protecting their right to live on their ancestral land. Um but they're being infringed upon by deforestation and oil and all that stuff. So 17 of these no contact individuals, they were part of a specific um, sect of this tribe or group, decided to make contact in 2004 due to the extensive deforestation. They put the whole group um, puts in a large effort to remain uncontacted. Sure. So like, they're not just like out in the wilderness and no one's found them. Like they know that other people are there because they have family members still living in society. So like the people like, yeah, they have relatives living in these groups that are speaking out for their relatives that are. Is it like Amish style where it's like, if you're in, you can stay in, but if you're out, then you're out forever. It seems like if you decide to be no contact, you can leave your community and go be no contact. But that's the option. You like, it's like you could be a part of this Bolivian contemporary society yeah or you could be no contact with us i think there is also some sort of a like language barrier as well because there is some reports of the people that were like speaking out being activists basically for their family members that were no contact and the way that the article was worded made it seem like they don't they can't communicate with each other well oh like they're they're, so it's a deeply insular group yes okay yes um, so they put in a large effort to remain uncontacted, like fleeing from signs of outsiders, and they use whistles to like communicate with each other when there are outsiders around so that they're not being heard. Um, this group of 17 who reached out were contacted, after they had reached out, were contacted by another group of indigenous in the area who had previously been sedentarized by missionaries. I didn't know what that meant. It Ugh. means like... Converted. Yeah, basically. Nice. Like you're forced to become a part of society. I don't know. Here's the thing. I'll go on the record for this. If I'm reaching out to society for the first time, newly converted Christians is maybe not the group I'm picking in the the lottery of groups. The missionaries were on that one. There were like 17 new ones. Get them. We converted a tribe that had otherwise been previously uncontacted. So they've been sent a tribe by missionaries. I would love to pronounce the name of this group, and I will try. I apologize in advance. It's like the... It's the Toto Biagosod. Okay. I don't know. Um, so when this group of Aorio, I think, I'm sorry, um, joined, they were forced to give up their culture as with um, being converted, convert to Christianity as with being converted, and perform servant-like tasks for the other oh. group of indigenous. 
this group that freshly was like, we, because of your decisions, will now be joining your society. Are now and being they servants. That's... One, it's, like, so disheartening because of just the facts of the case. But two, it's, like, it removes any veil of, like, well, if I was in the 1860s, I'd be different. That Like, you have people today being, stuff. like, what a perfect source for manipulated labor that I can exactly. use. Exactly. And it makes me think <sighs> that this other group of indigenous were doing these kinds of servant life tasks for the missionaries, right? Because oh. I feel like they had to learn this behavior. Sure. Or maybe they didn't and they're just all assholes. I don't know. Um, they also suffered serious health issues after contact um, due mm. to being contacted and right. also because and of poor treatment. And viruses. Yep. And yeah. yep. Fortunately, there are organizations that represent the Eorio people to the Bolivian government, um, not just the uncontacted, but also the contacted, the people sure. that live in society or try to. And they work to protect their rights for isolation and those who choose to isolate. Um, several organizations monitor the, the territory of these uncontacted uncontacted people to confirm their presence through signs like holes in trees to collect honey, clan symbols on tree bark and cacti, tools and huts found in clearings, objects left to settlements as a sign of peace, friendship, or exchange, and so forth. It's just fascinating to hear about a society that is desperately like, leave us alone. Like, not even like, oh, you haven't found us until the 2000s. Right. Like, they were a part of society and said, mm, no. And I think one of the things that makes me most interested about communities like this and other communities is like that island off the coast of India, a yes. couple others that are like very hostile to outsiders. Very hostile, yes. It's like, what do you know that leads you to the correct answer? <laughs> but, like, what do you know? And what happened? Like, how did you get that piece of information? Like, yeah. it's like that, I'm going to call it lore, but I'm, I'm sure it's fact that, like, really, like, for instance, so in 2006, 2007, there was that terrible tsunami in, mm -hmm. like, India, Indonesia, right, Sri yeah, Lanka. Yeah. And um, one of the communities that wrote it out the best were these indigenous communities that had an oral tradition of talking about, like, yeah. when the sea recedes and then a big oh. wave comes. And so these communities had like for the most part, been undamaged in terms of loss of life. Obviously, like their structures yeah. have been washed away, but like there was this long, Standing powerful, tradition, yeah. yeah, of like, of what to do, spoken stories to survive that. And so I am, part of me just like deeply interested in what is the information that's getting passed down in these communities that are like, do makes not them so scared. talk to yeah. these people. I mean, I scared. Yes. Or like scared makes it feel yeah. almost like they shouldn't be, but like, you're right. Like, no, yeah. no not to who are legitimately fearful of yeah. what this incursion could be. Exactly. That's so fascinating to me. And then Crazy. also probably as a sub conversation of that, for that group of 17 individuals that did choose to at least attempt to integrate themselves mm -hmm. with like the more contemporary Bolivian society, what was that conversation like the night before? Like, what was that? What, like, yeah, like, in both, like, like, a funny gotta. way, but also, yeah. like, in, like, just a humans are weird and interesting kind of yeah. way. Like, who brings it up? How did that, you who know, maneuver? Because there's clearly a lore in their culture that is encouraging them not to. Yeah. And so what was that conversation to move away from their accepted knowledge and into something else. I think in like a deep microcosm way, not to get like too brainy here in what is supposed to be a comedy podcast, but like... <laughs> it's supposed to be an infra... It's supposed to be a rabbit hole podcast. I just... It's... That is, I think, That's just crazy. a really interesting... Yeah. Yes. Like, we don't know because I, our... Yeah, our society is so different I from also theirs. love that since this is the last story you're sharing and There's then we'll move more. on to... Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I was going to say like the real wilderness 
is us was like the moral of that story. <laughs> this next one really does prove that. Okay, though. cool, cool, cool. So that is ultimately okay. from cocaine bear to uncontacted tribes were the thing that were needs to be the escaped. Bad thing. I love it. Okay. So then what's this final story? Okay. Um my last note for that last one was um this group is one of the last documented isolated groups outside of the Amazon. The others include um, including in the Amazon, there are others in Australia, Venezuela, Brazil, um, which has the Awa, which is one of the mo- more famous ones. It's called the most endangered tribe. Because we keep taking pictures of it from the air. <laughs> we keep taking pictures of it in deforestation. It's a whole thing. Uh, the Philippines, Peru, Indonesia, and India right. um, also have some. Um, so TLDR, the wilderness can be a scary place. <laughs> See, cocaine bear. Mm. Um, but while it's possible there are uncontacted uncontacted people in the wilderness in the u.s there is no hard evidence of this the last uncontacted person in the u.s went by the name ishi um they lived um from circa 1861 to 1916 okay this was the last known member of a native american tribe called the yahi people in northern california and also the last uncontacted native american we so believe Yep. In- Sorry, it's just already so sad at the start. It's sad, but it get it's a little heartwarming. It's a little heartwarming. Um, <laughs> okay. In the 1940s, it's sad first, I will warn you. In the 1940s, there were around 400 Yahi people existing in California. The parent tribe was the Yana, and okay. a total in the Yana tribe, there was about uh, 1,500. This man, Ishii, never gave his real name to anyone that he met, as was his people's tradition. Apparently, they didn't give their names unless to specific people who sure. already knew them. A yeah. lot like Grinder. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that out. That might legitimately be a smidge insensitive, but <laughs> it's the only thing I could compare it to. <laughs> What about, like, Hotmail AIM accounts is maybe the only other one? The thing that, like, he was termed Ishii by the people that, like, yeah, found him. His name is Ishii. They knew that he probably wouldn't give them his name. His name is Ishii because we need to name him to talk about him in our English language, and that's the name that we have given him. The name Ishii means man in his native language. That's just kind of disappointing. It's like how the term Earth means dirt. <laughs> yeah, like, like you really couldn't like name him like Mark or something. I don't know. Like, is that actually maybe more offensive? That might be more offensive. I don't know. Like, maybe name him like a color in his name. Mark Let's... the last Ishi to exist is, I think, perhaps. Okay, more... you're right. You're right. At least Ishi is like man of this tribe. But uh, yeah, at least which is like... actually maybe not offensive. Is that actually yeah. just an accurate statement about who he is? But they're just calling him man, man yeah it's it's a little i wish they had been more creative Listen, but it's let's fine. be real before we continue on with the story the problem white people have in this story is not what we were calling them <laughs> it is literally Everything hundreds else. of years before this yes yep, yep 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 like hundreds of years up to that very moment and then uh, continually past it yep. and right now and unfortunately baked into the future yeah a bit. probably okay so now <laughs> the 1840s there was a bunch of yahi people um many massacres obviously, because we're America and Manifest Destiny and the Gold Rush. Right. Um, Between 1865 and 1871 resulted in only there only being between two and 20 members of the Yahi alive, which led to what they called the period of concealment. Mm. So in 1908, there were only four remaining uh, Yahi people in the territory, and they were spotted by some surveyors, but were not seen again, despite efforts to find them. Sure. Although, pretty clear 
They didn't want to be contacted. They didn't want to be found. They all tried to hide. Um, In classic American culture fashion, it was like, let's chase them to the ends of this earth. It was some politician that was like, heard the surveyor's testament that they had found them and was like, find them. Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) Don't remember who it was, but yeah. Um, In 1911, which was two years, three years after the four remaining ones were found, Ishii was found alone and near starving by a butcher in Oroville in North California. He was given a home at the University of California's Anthropology Museum, where he was studied by anthropologists, and he got to make native crafts for museums and anthropologists to study. He also hosted demonstrations for his arrow making and fire building, and according to accounts, he was very proud of his work. Sure. He was very happy to do it, and it gave him, like, a reason to live. Mm. Um, it's uh, assumed that the other three members that were with him in 1908 are, were no longer there in sure. 1911. Um, he also agreed to record linguistic material on the Yahi language for UC Berkeley. Unfortunately, because he was uncontacted, he was sick a lot and hospitalized many times between 1911 and 1916, everything from respiratory infections, bronchopneumonia, various body pains, and then tuberculosis. So he did die on March of 1916 due to tuberculosis. Um, those closest with Ishii, they, the site that I got this from posted the letters of like the two anthropologists that were closest with this guy. And sure. it's like very heartwarming to read these letters because sure. the one that was really close with him, I think, was out of town when he died. It was in Europe and sent this letter to the other one saying like, like, don't let them desecrate his body. Yeah. Just get some, like, land on a burial ground and bury him. Like, there's no need to do even, like, autopsy. We know how he died. Sure. Just let him, like, be at peace. Right. Um, and then the one res- in response was, like, unfortunately, your letter came too late, but we did. Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for that. Okay, but it, it's okay. Punch. It's okay. They, like, they did an autopsy to confirm that he died of tuberculosis, and then apparently... Ishii had made it known that in his culture, when people die, the appropriate thing is to burn them. So they burned his brain. Oh, okay. okay. Um, the only thing they salvaged was his brain, I think, and it's some, it's at some museum or something like that. But that was the only thing that they did, surprisingly. Which I mean, for, like, it's both a tragedy mm-hmm. and also small win. Yeah, that, small like, win that it was just that. They, they didn't, didn't, like, taxiderm his exactly. entire body. Yeah. yeah. One of the first, the first letter that came through. We're about through, to elect a KKK member to the White House, and they're like, we should respect most of this man's exactly. last wishes. Yeah, the, the first guy that wrote the letter was like, there's no reason to keep the body. We've had, like, evidence, or we've had skeletal remains of other Native Americans, and no one has tried to, like, do any scientific research on it. Right. And so, like, the only only reason people would want to do research on this on his body is for like some romantic like gross right. reason because he was like a kind of a part of society and like that kind of stuff you know the thing that like the second half of the 20th century there were like some truly unbelievably mind-boggling atrocities yeah that are mind-boggling because we were able to document them in a way that like western culture yeah. can consume and it's stories like this that remind me that like these stories, which, like, strike at the core of who we are, pale in comparison to the undocumented atrocities yeah. that we committed against indigenous yeah. and uh, black slash African Just descendants. Just, like, things that weren't documented because yeah. we didn't think they were important. Didn't think it was important. Mm-hmm. Didn't think what we were doing was, like, wrong at the time. Mm-hmm. Wasn't maybe necessarily soon enough to our own age to be documented in a way that we can yeah. consume. Like, the story of being the last person of your 
tribe, of your culture, of, like... And there's also, like, crazy, like, two feet in two different time periods of, like, when your community had a sense of place. Yeah. And to see that entire place go away. I mean, you see affluent white kids who mm-hmm. come home from four years of college at, like, UC Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And there's, like, a Dunkin' Donuts on the corner. <laughs> and they're like, this town just ain't what it was when I left. And, like... <laughs> And like that is, and, and then they write poetry about it, and we hear it at coffee shops, and, and we all snap. Listen, art is important; doesn't yeah. have to be good, yeah. but <laughs> but to have like the entire world. I mean, the only way we can compare it is like full alien invasion and yeah. like an upside down turning of everything in our contemporary society, and so beyond even like fiction writers' ability to imagine. Yeah, and it was the lived experience of people who our grandparents could have interacted with. Yeah. And that's insane. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it was very sweet, like, reading the letters between the two anthropologists, because the, the second one was like, I like you did, I didn't even receive your letter, but I was agreeing to everything that you had said, and right. I fought for it. But he was like, as you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in a place where I could make these decisions, apparently. Like, he wasn't in sure. the head. So it was good to know that at least, like, most people were on board. Like, okay, we can keep the brain. You got this one. But, like, we're going to respect him. Sure. Um, so... Yeah, he was burned, and then he was buried on a plot in, like, the urn was buried in a plot of land, and then they also buried with him um, his, in, like, a small coffin, a purse of tobacco, some obsidian flakes, like what he makes, he made the arrows out of, his rings, his bows, a box of shell bead money that he had saved, um, theoretically, from his people, and then some other things of his. And, yeah, it was believed... By the time that Ishii came to Oroville, all the other Yahi members were gone. So, that was dark. <laughs> to lighten it up before we end. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, these people were not feral, but it's still interesting. Right. Because I can imagine if you're in an area like in Bolivia, or you were in the Pacific North, Northern As California. colonization really yeah, ramps around this up. Time, and right. you didn't know that there were people that were like not a member of your society that were around. It could be unsettling to like hear those whistles or like... Right come across like a civilization or be like a persecuted it's right crazy <laughs> wild who would have thought this lesson here is if you hear it on tiktok maybe mm. do some research um that's every, a good takeaway yeah some things that might record. sound outlandish <laughs> exactly if you hear it here don't believe us if you hear it here it's probably vaguely backed up by a hyperlink yeah we might have a link to give you i don't know um okay but it's important to remember that if something sounds outlandish, there's a good chance that at least part of it is. is. And remember that not everything is always nefarious. For example, I was Googling nef- feral people in the wilderness. <laughs> you and, really did go down this rabbit hole. Oh, man. It was, a fucking, <laughs> it was a whole journey. But so one person on Reddit asked, what are your crazy stories in the wilderness? What are your most unsettling sure. stories? So there was a bunch <laughs> of creepy stories of people like camping and like seeing weird things or hearing unexplained things. But I think the, the question was, park rangers, what are the craziest or most unexplainable things that you've ever experienced? Um, and most of the responses were by people who were not park rangers. It was like friends of park rangers or just like, this is an experience I had sure. in the wilderness. This one is traditionally not a ranger. My story is the exact reverse of the others here. <laughs> When I was in the scouts, or rather the local equivalent, mm. legally adult scouts had to do something called the three feather challenge. One day without food. Sorry, one... the phrase legally adult scouts had to do is a phrase that Strange. is not sitting in my brain. Oh, yeah, continue. I don't understand. Do you mean like... park rangers or Cub Scout troop leaders? I feel like it's Eagle Scouts, but more culty. Okay. Is how I'm imagining it. 
I don't know. Anyway, they had to do one day without food, one day without speaking, and one day and night alone in the woods with only a knife and a tarp. There's resorts you have to spend thousands for that kind of treatment. You have to be rich to <laughs> yeah, do this. Absolutely. To live like this. <laughs> okay. Unseen by any human. Um, after this day and night alone in the woods with only the knife and the tarp, you have to sneak back into the scout camp unnoticed by the sentries and report to the campmaster in order to succeed. Um, so it was my third day. I took off, walked for miles through the woods and found the most remote spot in the wildest, most overgrown part of the nearby woods. Spent a spooky but uneventful night until almost before dawn when I decided to go for a morning swim in the lake right, by, right before taking off to go back. I stripped nude and went towards the lake, but noticed <laughs> and went towards the lake, but noticed a group of guys fishing. So decided to go Hot back again. <laughs> Okay. Hey, wait, have I seen this movie? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Suddenly. So he's, imagine he's like standing. Oh, I'm imagining. <laughs> Sorry, I will shut up. That was the third one. So he's standing naked. Um, he's standing naked on like this <laughs> bank of a lake. He notices a group of guys and decides to turn back. Mm. Suddenly the ground underneath my feet caved in and I found myself submerged up to my armpits in the absolute vilest mass I have ever smelled. It was a pit where poacher dumped the guts and leftovers of a legally hunted deer and it had fermented for weeks. Imagine the scene. A group of anglers hear some ungodly screaming from the direction of the woods and run there to see if someone needs help. What I would they, run in the opposite direction, but good for the fishermen. What they see is a teenager shaped ghoul covered completely in blood and rotten guts who's crawling out of a bloody hole in the ground while shrieking and weeping then runs at them to get to the lake and wash off. The North Pond Hermit would never be caught in a hit of fermented deer entrails. You Just couldn't. Imagine the story. There's a cryptid based off of this experience, and I know it, and I need to know more. So, everything you see in the wilderness is not always nefarious. Sometimes. Sometimes it's just a scout that fell into fermented deer guts. I. Okay. I love that. I love that this is the note that we're handing on. I actually. So, it did not come with this story prepped, but mm -hmm. at one point, this story was triggered. Only vaguely related to fermented deer guts, and I think that's probably a good thing. If I just came with another one in the can in the chamber with that, that's insane. Uh, this story comes from our dear friend Dolly Parton. Oh, I love um, that. And by dear friend, I mean would love to be um, Dolly. <laughs> she looks better in light, but I'm funnier, so I don't know who is. I'm kidding. She has all the equipment. Uh, Dolly, don't listen to him. So she has the story. And I think it's funny, and it's, I think, tied really together yeah. well with how we started off the series, which is Cocaine Bear. <laughs> so there was this small little town in Tennessee, and they had, like, one of these old, like, circus bears who was used to being around people. Mm -hmm. And you know how roadside gas stations are. Anything to get people to stop and buy corn nuts. And so they had this bear in a cage outside. <laughs> and one of the things you could do is, like, like they had trained it to like drink gasoline because it was a gas station and that's how it spent like the majority of its life oh. now granted obviously i'm sorry dolly dolly tells it better but i'm yeah. the one that talked about bears in the last podcast <laughs> um so i get this one well one day kind of naturally yeah the bear escapes and it runs away from the gas station That's it should. and it's running down the local highway down mm -hmm. from these mountains into the it might have been knoxville or something like that but running to the next town and as it's running it claps and it dies 
It ran out of gas. <laughs> <laughs> it's it that fucking stupid but also amazing <laughs> Yo, i can't believe i love for it i can't believe you either you have more education than i do i was so invested <laughs> there is nothing better there is nothing better than when you know you have the crowd and you know what's gonna come next that was listen i do drugs that was my drug tonight Ignore the two or three gin and tonics. That, that was it right there. Um, a doctor declared me young and healthy. He said young first, too, which was cool. Um, He's 30. God, so. isn't, that, isn't that story fantastic? That hurt my heart, like, a little bit. <laughs> no, it hurt your ego. Your heart yeah, is full. My, heart, my heart's fine. Yeah, my ego. I was just so ready to, like, be in on this, like, great story about bears. In my like, defense, it is a great story. Story about bears. It's just not a story. <laughs> it's a fucking gotcha. <laughs> you can be mad, but if it doesn't help you climb the corporate ladder, you can come back and complain. I'm gonna, I'll start telling it to all my white coworkers. Oh, are you kidding? You're gonna go to that Pepsi company and really be on the line with them with that oh, bear yeah. joke. Absolutely, hundred percent. That's how. I'll, that's how I get them to trust me. <laughs> Give me their secret. One day we will eventually produce our own original content, but until then. <laughs> Dolly Parton and the internet, you have been warned. <laughs> Dolly Parton, we're not warning you of anything, sweetie. If you want to be on our podcast, you're more than welcome. We're both optional. If you just want the podcast. You can have the podcast. <laughs> you don't have to pay us a damn thing. Uh, okay. Well, right. this well we left. Absolutely, um, we did. Hope you left, too. If not, I mean, keep tuning in. We're going to crack that code one of these times. At some point. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Anyways, fine enough. Bye. Bye, friends. <laughs>